0: Describing about Aryan invasion. So was it the same that Aryan, that about Hitler's faith about the Aryan uh, race and that in, so Aryan is Indian race or Aryan race or what?
1: Race? Well I don't know why you brought in Hitler over here okay. but the bottom line is it's well known in India with the history that we have been told that there is an Aryan invasion into India in 1500 BCE coming from Central Asia into India. And we are told that they are the ones who brought in Sanskrit, Vedic uh, culture, everything to India. We are told they replaced the existing civilization, the Harappans. We are told that uh, Dravidians appeared because of invasion by them. These are all failed ideas. And in my talks, I have discussed these in great detail.
0: Okay, I said you said animals have no consciousness that we can exploit. Something like I couldn't because it was very fast. So, uh, what was that?
1: i was talking about the differences between the abrahamic way of thinking and the dharmic way of thinking yeah. in the abrahamic way of thinking god made man in his image okay. so we are made in god's image and the also a consequence of that is that animals don't have souls only men uh, sorry humans have souls and therefore we are told in the Abrahamic religions that everything on the earth is put for man's benefit and enjoyment. Even after his banishment from Eden, everything is put for his enjoyment. So man can exploit the world at will. So that is the idea in their systems. That's Abrahamic what I'm about. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, during the transmission of humanity from Africa <coughs> towards this thing, mm-hmm. and there is a southern area below the Pamir, where, you know, these are all these habitable lands and all that. And then they settled for this thing, 12,000, after the last ice. Age. Now and this invasion, what is the invasion about it? The group of people, they got a place to settle down. Before that they were nomadic. And then they started this thing and then the whole evolution. So is a question, it's then? nothing that somebody conquered That's somebody, some invasion something. Yeah. A place where the savannah small grasses below the palmit, so there they settled down and then they started what is that called uh, living you know
1: I, I get what i'm trying to say in my talks i talked extensively about the uh, genetic ideas i talked extensively about uh, migrations and so on so please take a look at that because i have dealt with the subject in great detail about uh, the proposed time frames, what David Reich is saying that uh, Iranian pastoralists came to India 7,000 BCE, and then he says about central Asians who came to India 4,000 years ago. So I've talked in great detail about these things and I've debunked some of these ideas and the notions of mathematics. So please do take a look at that. So what you're saying is all covered already by me in some of these things.
0: I read during the Mughal period, the royal court had these Persian uh, scholars, they, they translated this Sanskrit, all this knowledge of our medicines, sutra, and all that. Then they they learned Sanskrit. They got all them them. and then made it to the unani medicine, can you elaborate what exactly happened?
1: So in, in, my, in my in my talks, I have talked in great detail about knowledge transmissions. So there were several routes. One of the routes is what you're saying. There were the Periplus of the Erythral Sea that talks about trading in Western Asia and how the boats had come from Roman Empire going there. Even in an earlier period of time when the Greek contact was there after Alexandrian time, we know about the trade links that existed and we know how in southern India you had a trading civilization how they would go by boat from uh, Kanyakumari to Pudukye, to uh, Koilon to uh, to Baruch in uh, Gujarat, from there to Lothal, from there to Sin, from there to uh, West Asia. We know about these things, so trading links has existed for a long time, continuously. We don't normally think about these things, but for more than 4,000-5,000 years, there has been trade between India and the Mediterranean world either through the uh, sea route or the land route and so on. It need not have been around Africa as the uh, colonialists did. It was through this more direct route. So there's been a lot of information on transmission based upon this. I talked about silk route as one more transmission mechanism, how Indian knowledge went into Mediterranean lands. I talked about Peripolis of Eritrean Sea. I talked about the Greek transmission. I talked about migration to West Asia in 2000 BC. After failure of monsoons, they took the early knowledge out, how that knowledge would have impacted the Mycenaeans via the Hittites and the Mitanni people. So there's enormous information out there on how Indian knowledge could have seeded all of those lands over there. So there is no direct citation or attribution today, but if we take care to look at the echoes of Indian thought in these cultures, we might find a trace saying, yes, it makes perfect sense. This is the time A happened, A led to B, B led to C. A logical sequence can be laid out. So, yes, there is. A, you mentioned about one, but there's a lot of other information. In the
0: secular concept of India, how this can be revised in the in present context?
1: So, uh, th- this is a matter of great debate, and I don't uh, want to spend time talking about this, but we know that today, in today's India, the Marxists, the liberals, and others are in charge, or the, West, or the education uh, uh, sector. So there's no way internal evidence will be used in any of their works. They are following a trajectory that has been set by colonial Indologists They are following a trajectory that was set by Eurocentric Indologists who use linguistic model to talk about Aryan invasion theory. They are making use of um, uh, um, people like the Marxist ideas about the the fact that even the missionaries have got a vested interest to do certain things. There are many many forces impacting, uh, impacting the narration of Indian history today. So it is not as if there's one lobby alone we can fight against. But in India today, officially we have to do something. It is the education sector that is controlled by liberals and that is controlled by the... Liberals is a loose word. They have appropriated that word. The true liberal is a Dharmic person. But they have uh, appropriated the word. But the people who call themselves liberals and the people who are uh, Marxists, they are the ones controlling the uh, lobby and they need to be tackled and addressed. We need to uh, push these things and maybe it requires an ordinance from the government to say that we are the inheritors of the ancient Indian civilization and there's no reason why we should take a western narrative of who we are. So it's high time that we look at our own narrative. Why is Otto Nujbauer the guru over here? Why are his observations any more relevant than what is there in Chatapatha Brahmana or in Vaisheshika Sutra or in Yuktibhasa? Why? Nobody questions that. Received wisdom is that these are the guys who, uh, uh, who set the tone and we continue that mindlessly today and the communists have got a great desire to control the, continue that because to them change comes on the back of a revolution and the revolution in India is to destroy the current dominant system which is Hinduism. If you destroy Hinduism, then change comes. That same idea is continuing in what they're doing the education system. So there's a bigoted narration out there in textbooks and other things. So- We need to ideologically challenge what they are doing and maybe through an ordinance say that Indic civilization should be encouraged and we should learn more about these things. On evidence, everything on evidence, not just on jingoism or some stories that we had vimanas and uh, nuclear weapons in the past. Beyond that, go to an evidence-based narration and make that as a basis of our education system. Okay. Yes. Scholars like you and David probably the, uh, of late have been bringing out these the antiquity. They are pushing back the antiquity of the civilization and talking about this transmission of uh, knowledge, the reverse transmission, if we may put it that way. But then there is a pushback from the established West, Western Indophiles. Uh, what, you, uh, you just covered some aspects, but uh, what is the broader uh, motivation for this pushback from the Western Indologists when they are willing to attribute uh, things to the Babylonians, the Hittites, but not proceed each words so so the point is there is a purity of western thought that has been fiercely protected over here the greeks got their knowledge from the babylonians from the hittites and so on that's the knowledge transmission that they have If you show that the Babylonians and the Hittites, Mitanni's are impacted by Vedic thought, that's contamination from over here. And that breaks down enormous edifices in their knowledge systems. Whether it is Neoplatonism that led to Christianity or even earlier about Semitic ideas that might have arisen through Indic knowledge systems, that is a no-no. So in my perspective, every European scholar from colonial times to present times seems to be motivated To say transmission happened from outside into India, they have no problem if Indian knowledge went to the east, whether it went to Japan, China, southeast, no problem over there. But even Hmm. one foot outside Afghanistan appears to be ideologically squashed by the power of uh, Western academia and their narrations. They don't allow that. So uh, I think it has just got to be challenged on the basis of common sense and say that this is not okay. I have a question about the Aryan invasion that you spoke about. So you are saying that the Aryan invasion stands at the root of all this uh, uh, determining the direction of borrowing. But don't you think even given the Aryan invasion it is an event that happened at one point in time and there could have been transmission from India anyway after the Aryan invasion too. Right. So, uh, don't you think you can actually de-link these two rather than you know putting it at the root of all these issues? Very, very. That's a very good question. So, it it, it turns it turns out that it, it turns out that uh, the R N invasion theory has got several corollaries to that, and those corollaries are what determine some of these things. That ideas came from outside India into India, in not only in that period of time but in future periods of time too. While there's an acknowledgement of trade between India and other parts of the world. There appears to be a concerted effort to say knowledge only flowed from that side to this side. So all these are a, a mishmash of these ideas that I talked about, ideological ideas about maintaining the purity of the Semitic people, about the Christianity, and these kind of things. They might find very strange that in today's world people do that. But the more you see about the trade links that existed, you had to be open to the question, could there have been a two-way transmission? Could Indians have learned something from them? Could they have learned something from Indians? And I go there a very open mind. But the point is when I look at the Nakshatra model, I don't see any evidence of this in anywhere else except in China. In Arab uh, countries, the manzil that was used in uh, Quran and other places appeared to be in the Nakshatra model and such things. I don't see any kind of these things elsewhere. If I look at the models that uh, Ptolemy is proposing or others are proposing, there does not appear to be a strong transmission route, let us say, from them into India. Our problem is all of a sudden Aryabhata came with uh, very strong mathematics and things like that leading him open to the criticism rather to today's criticism that he perhaps took trigonometry from Ptolemy's works or earlier works and things like that. However, I showed that there is a Siddhantic period where we don't even have the works. They are referred to in later works saying there was a work that worked on mathematics. So your question is very valid and it is correct, should be dealing this point event from everything else but the problem today is you have a monolith mishmash of ideas starting from Aryan invasion Sanskrit is an import. Ideas came into India from the outside. Indians were recipients for knowledge all the time, not from outside. In fact, if you look at colonial Indology, colonial Indology, early on when they started talking about the linguistic homeland for uh, uh, Europeans, after they found commonality of Greek, Latin and Sanskrit, initially they thought Sanskrit was a mother language and they thought India was the homeland. That is a time where you find very nice books coming out of uh, French thinkers and other people, Voltaire and a lot of other people who, who spoke very complimentarily about vegetarianism, Indian ideas, Upanishads, and all those kind of things. However, two things changed. One is when they discovered the Hittites and the Mitannis, uh, late 1880s, and things like that. Second one is the uh, Indian War of Independence. Once Indian War of Independence happened, then the crown took over from East India Company and the narrative became officially one where Indians are subjects and we are the rulers. So you are spoken down to and we are up here. That kind of a narrative happened and an entire intellectual industry arose around trying to have a younger chronology for India. Once they found this very ancient Bible chronology for India, they couldn't Reconcile that with biblical chronology. So they went through a process of saying, I studied the Sanskrit work and I put it to a later time frame. I studied the Sanskrit work, put it to a later time frame. So the entire intellectual efforts, like today, intellectual efforts are in genetics, trying to say genetics, what happened. There was a period of time and they worked only on this, trying to say younger chronology for India. So like I said, mishmash of several ideas, ideologies have resulted in this. And the root for all these things goes from Arya innovation.
0: Which time period would you frame the Takshashila and all the universities of, from north to south? I mean, I think, right. Uh, Invite out to how the Sanskrit and how our scriptures and how the sciences that you have given different broad lines are related oh. to this? With
1: the with the world, can you tell us? Okay. So uh, I have not in any deep study in when Nalanda or Takshashila started, but we know they are pretty ancient. Nalanda, we know, started in a certain time frame. Uh, we are told around 300 current era and so on. Takshashila's is much more ancient. It was there during Alexander's time also, so 300 BC, maybe even earlier than that so we know that those are not the only universities there were many many universities in india ranging from um, forest universities ranging from maybe a rashin a hermitage just having his, his disciples around him to brick and mortar kind of universities so we have a tendency to look at brick and mortar as authentic and uh, so on so we only talk about takshashila and nalanda but the evidence shows that there has been a continuum of thought In educational systems going back to a very very ancient time. We know about gurus who accepted students, who taught them after a certain period of time. We know the model that they had that there was an acharya in charge and the inner circle of students ready to receive the wisdom and an outer circle on their way to coming to inner circle, the brahmacharya periods that they had to have. So we know about all these things. So we know there's a tradition of learning for a very very long time. So I think hopefully that that is the part thing, of what you're you are asking. with
0: the, any time period that you have spoken of? Where, where, did, where did that stand?
1: So the, the, the logic schools that we talked about, I put some names of some rishis like Jaimani, Gautama, about uh, Kannada and other rishis. So the western wisdom is that these are all recent works. For example, Kannada is put to 600 BCE and uh, Gautama is put to another period, Kapila is put to another period. So we have great work ahead of us to look at their works, look for archaeoastronomy over there and try to say these works are dated to this period of time and try to rework the dates over there. I have not done that. But I am hoping that uh, scholars will take, uh, go ahead and start doing these things. Well, so just like we have a clear-cut connection between Indian civilization and Greek and Central Asian, do we have a similar connection with Abyssinians, Central Africans and their southern neighbors, provided they are geographically closer to us than the Greeks? absolutely absolutely so we know that there were trading links we know that there were trading links today there are some amazing instances where you go to central africa and people are saying the language appears close to tamar how is that possible how is that possible other than trading links they're saying tamar is related to Elamites. how is that possible and we see evidence of that we see for example you see words like ur in uh, um, for example, Abraham was supposed to be born in, the, in Ur in Sumeria and Ur is a very uh, typically southern Indian word over there. So you see Elam, Elam itself is land in Tamil, right? So we see instances of Tamil words used even in Gujarat. In Gujarat you see uh, names of places I've got, Vard, Var and things like that which are very similar to again southern Indian names. How is it possible? Is it the wisdom of Witzel and others that maybe Harappans were uh, Tamilians and they were pushed down to the south or is it a uh, Tamil civilization was trading went to all these coastal areas and injected the knowledge in their systems everywhere which is what I believe it is. So Central Asia, uh, sorry Central Africa and other places I believe uh, definitely yes especially with places like Ethiopia and other ancient civilizations I am convinced that there was contact with them and there is a knowledge exchange with them and too. Not that much, because the world is biased towards the Western model, about the Greeks, the Babylonians and so on. Not so much, but the Ethiopians are a proud people who got a lot of their own history and uh, these things. There are claims by uh, Ethiopian centric scholars who say that um, uh, Ethiopian knowledge is what came to India. That uh, for example, Murugan, they had a divinity called Murukan who was a warlike divinity. So there are some claims all over the place. One will have to go carefully and study these claims and do those
2: things. I've always enjoyed your talks over the years Mm -hmm. and learned a great deal from each one of them. Um, I have a statement and a question. Statement, um, I think you made one mistake in in answering some of the questions. No, just one one mistake. Um, You you posited that Indians were the original liberals. Mm -hmm. I would just remind you that Lord Macaulay was a liberal politician. And the word liberal has always been, in my mind, a synonym for lying. So liberal in lies. Question?
1: We have have to be careful in using terminology. That's what it (laughs) illustrates. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: I mean, Hitler considered himself a socialist. Yes. Um, The question, at what point in this chronology, clearly 4,000 years ago, India was the world's innovation center. 2,000 years ago, the world's innovation center. Do you have a clear point in time at which that reverses or changes?
1: So that's an excellent question. So I've been toying with that idea for a long time. I've been toying with the idea, why is it that Shatapatha Brahmana, Aitriya Brahmana have got the heliocentric model, but by the time it came to Aryabhata, he had lost track of that. Why is it that they had to struggle back until Nilakanta Somayaji to have a partial heliocentric model? Clearly in Shatapatha Brahmana, we have a statement that the sun strings all the planets to himself. That's a statement of heliocentrism as good as I can uh, get over there. So it appears to me that Early Vedic literature appeared to have a very advanced state of knowledge, and my best hypothesis at this time is the 200-year monsoon failure that happened in 2000 BCE. Today in India, if monsoons fail for one season, farmers commit suicide, they can't pay the bills and things like that. If monsoons fail for five years, economy is going to go for a tank and Indian GDP will go down. Can you imagine 200 years, which is what happened? 200-year monsoon hiatus caused the demise of Indus Valley civilization all over the place. In the north, you have glacier-fed rivers. Glaciers also need to be fed by rains and things like that. In the south, they're entirely dependent on rain. Can you imagine when rivers run dry for 200 years? That's four generations. 50-year lifetimes, four generations. My belief is that that caused a puncture in the intellectual tradition of India. It's a belief at this point. It's a belief that it caused a puncture in the intellectual tradition of India and required time to once again get back and we lost a lot. That's my belief. But I don't have evidence other than the fact that we had a 200 year drought and many intellectuals might have migrated to uh, uh, Mitanni lands and other places and become alienated from the Vedic culture after that. They had some remembrances with their names, Sanskrit, and other things. But I believe they also took some intellectual works like mathematics, astronomy, and other things with them. But in India itself, I, when I look at what is happening from early periods or later periods, I struggle to explain what happened, what happened. So it could be this 200 year drought.